Good morning. We're back for another episode of Riddles in the Dark. This is a special post-Comic-Con sort of uh, dust-up, going over all the news that has poured out and is slowed to a trickle. So now um, it's time to let the rampant speculation and the uh, uh, run and the unfounded rumors fly. This is a very special episode because I'm joined not only by, oh, and I'm, of course, Dave Kale, the co-host of Riddles in the Dark, and I'm joined not only by the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson, but also by my co-host of the Riddles in the Dark Digest, Trish Lambert. So, good morning to you both. How are you guys doing? Are you ready to talk some Tolkien? Oh, yeah. Good morning, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is, uh, you know, of course, the needless to say, We've been getting, uh, you know, I've been getting bombarded by lots of people giving me links and pointing out things and <laughs> passing along rumors and things from Comic Con. This was the big. Uh, no, that was just Trish. That... <laughs> I was, was going to say that. <laughs> it's really sad commentary, isn't it? That I had time on the weekend to send them post that many things <laughs> <laughs> no 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 this I, I i i did get it from lots of people but anyway so there's 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 lots to talk about this has been and there's been a lot of build up towards this of course comic con is always a is always a big deal and peter jackson's always been very fond of it um so uh so you know we know that he's been deliberately building towards this for a while so um i actually one of the my one, one like very first thing i would say is that i was i was a little bit surprised by the fact that we didn't actually learn all that much really new stuff. Um, I mean, I don't... Like, for instance, the CinemaCon thing. You know, when we came out of the CinemaCon news, I mean, even though we didn't... You know, there was less news about that than there was uh, from Comic-Con. And yet from that, we got the Nazgul stuff, right? I mean, we came out of that all reeling from, like, wait, wait, there's a Tombs of the Nazgul? What are we talking about? Um, And there was no equivalent Tombs of the Nazgul moment uh, at Comic-Con. I don't think that there was any big reveal that was like a complete shock and something that we hadn't suspected was going to be there. I mean, there were some things that were confirmed and some things that were suggested and there were, but, uh, but I was actually, I was a little bit underwhelmed uh, by the revelations of the weekend. Am I It was kind of more visual, wasn't it? No, it was it was more visual, wasn't it? Because yeah. we had the trolls yeah. and we had those lenticular, you know, posters. It seems like they really went for the, for the eyes rather than the, uh, the news. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, the, you know, there were a lot, of, I mean, certainly, and I, you know, I, I know that was a big part of it that, you know, people wanting to see this stuff and, and being able to get, it to, especially for the people who were there to be able to see like, you know, like the trolls, that was a big deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. likewise, I likewise was underwhelmed, not blown away. Wasn't, wasn't anything really sort of, um, unexpected. And on the visual note, I, I think it, it's certainly worth pointing out that the one thing they were very careful not to do was to show anything in 48 frames per second. <laughs> they learned their lesson from <laughs> <Right>. last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. In an was... interview, Jackson said, Jackson said, I want people to focus on the content, not on the, film, on the film <laughs> technology. They're going to wait like until we've already paid before we get to right. see any more 48 frames <laughs> right. per second. Yeah. 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 Well, all right. Well, let's, so let's get right to some of the, uh, so we, you know, because we have got a, a lot of bits to talk about. So one thing that we wanted to start with is actually one of the, uh, one of the buildups to Comic-Con. 
which is that large uh, scrolling image um, that was released in Entertainment Weekly. Um, and uh, so we can we can put up a link to that. We can include a link to that in our um, on the Riddles in the Dark page, um, so that people can look at it when they when they listen to the episode. I've just put it up on my screen for those of you who are here with us live uh, in the Mythgard Netmoot. Um, I trust you guys can all see this. So, okay, so basically, you know, what we have here is a you know sort of like a collage of a whole bunch of different images, uh, which do seem to be roughly chronological. Um, so we start... Whoops. Darn it, I hate this little... I mean, the little zooming thing is cool, but it's kind of annoying. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so let's, let's just kind of go through this and sort of comment on things that we notice and stuff that we learn from this. Um, so first we've got... Gandalf looking ominous, sort of smoking ominously. I and kind of just say I don't like ominous smoking. Like smoking is 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 like it should, it's not something you do when you brood in Tolkien. That's just that's just not, anyway, whatever. So I, there's, I, I, I'm actually surprised with the coloration there, and I'm sure it's just an effect applied to the photo. But that's a sort of very kind of dark and and dreary Shire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's nighttime, but I mean, I agree that you know the effects of it. If you look at sort of the continuity between the coloring and the, sort of the mist up here, and you know over here the mist coming from the trolls' cook. You can really tell because you're zooming in there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's uh, it's oh, look, there's our trolls in the background, um, but. Um, but yeah, well, it seemed, it seemed like the whole look and feel of a lot of these pictures and stuff are are dark. Remember the 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 promotional photos that you guys looked at last time too. I mean, mm-hmm. you commented on that the the you know colors of the clothing wasn't very you know pop, it didn't really pop or anything. I mean, it's kind of the same thing here. This is all this is dark. I mean, maybe like you guys said, maybe in three D it'll be different. I I, I mean that I think I certainly think that's possible, but I also think they're just making sure trying to be very clear. This is not your this is not your grandparents' hobbit. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. This is not this is not just the cheery children's book, which is fine. Which is fine. Um mm-hmm. but uh but one thing I have to say, there's one thing that I'm really disturbed by in that first image of Gandalf in the door. The rune. The rune. How lame is that? He doesn't just put a single he doesn't just put like I mean that's just like a G rune. Oh. He's yeah. just put a he's just put a G rune on the door. So he, that's freaking lame. So he this basically. Is why I, I love listening to Corey. I would have totally missed that. Like oh my gosh! Yeah. Like the worst he, of like the worst of all um, um, vandals. He just scrolled his name on Bilbo's door. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what is he tagging Bilbo's door? I mean, is, like, come on now! Like he's supposed to be putting this is supposed to be a sign, you know, a sign like that 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 means you know professional burglar lives here. I mean, come on now. That's so. Anyway, I was a little I was a little disappointed by that. I mean, you know, again, it's something I can I can I can appreciate the fact that what. You know, the sign that Gandalf is supposed to have scratched on his door would be hard to represent. I mean, they could put some really complicated, you know, figure that nobody understands um, and then have the dwarves come along and look at it and be like, oh, yeah, that's the place. But um, but still, I, just like the G rune, really, uh, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's like Robert says, how does G mean burglar wants a good job, plenty of excitement and reasonable reward? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know, and the thing is is that I think that the um you know, the implication of that passage in the book is not that Gandalf actually wrote all that. I mean, you know, it's not like that text is inscribed on the door. So it's not like I think like that paragraph should be scratched in Bilbo's door. It's a symbol that Gandalf puts on the door, which means that like it's somehow like a burglar mark or something, um, right. which identify. But see, but it's it's but that's the important thing is that it's not Gandalf's identification. It's not Gandalf was here. Um, it's 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 an identification of Bilbo. It is in it is in fact the sort of predecessor um, of of Gandalf saying to and about Bilbo. You know, I you know I say you're a burglar. You know, if I say a burglar, then a burglar you are. Well, he's already said that on the door. That's what he, he's identifying Bilbo. So anyway, I, you know, it's it's not a big deal. I can get over it. But um, <laughs> and as I say, I, I don't know how I would represent it. I mean, what symbol I would draw to suggest like burglar lives here? But because um, yeah, Glowen's sort of interpretation, his his uh, his. That you know what uh, Robert I think was it Robert was just quoting. Sorry, I yeah. put my question box off to the side because uh, so I can see the picture. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As Robert says, um, so yeah, it, it's it's that 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 line. That's a paraphrase, right? But it's uh, you know that is it's his paraphrase um, as to what he you know how he understands that mark. But whatever, like I said, I can I can get over it. But that was my big disappointment from that from that scene. Um, and Gandalf is Gandalf wearing the sword? Yes. He's got he's got a sword belt, and it looks like the same. It looks like sword he's got belt. his hand on a hill, doesn't it? He looks like he's got his of, hand on a sword. This belt. is this is where you need to use the zoom in magnifying oh, glass. Man. Come on, where's Corey. My, where's my where's my little thing? Okay. Yeah, that doesn't help. I don't know what the heck that is. Yeah, on there it head. is. There it yeah, is. There's a yeah. hilt. Yeah, the hilt is the thing that goes down. So yeah. If, see if I could have my mouse clicker back, then that would help. But anyway, yeah. So no, he's got the 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 dark shaft is the, his hand is on the pommel, and then you've got the hilt, and then the cross piece is the silver part that we can see kind of going down to the right. Yeah, he doesn't have a staff. I mean, that's kind of odd. Can we? Yeah. I I I'm gonna I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and just say that that this is the promotional people who. Uh, you know, we basically never saw Gandalf without a sword in the previous film, so it's it's a requirement that he have it in all the promotional material. But he's not going to show up at Bilbo's door with a sword already. I'm just that's, we'll see. I'm just predicting that. I, I'm I'm going to give them the benefit okay. of the doubt. Okay, well, that's possible because I mean, certainly, I mean, goodness knows with a sort of a pastiche like this, there's no reason to think that this shot of Gandalf is chronologically, you know, contemporaneous with the. His appearance at the door, even though plus a, his hand on a sword hilt and a pipe in the other, <laughs> a pipe in the other hand. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's true. It's, it's the a it's the it's the Middle Earth equivalent. I was I was just listening on the way here. I was listening to an NPR thing about that new uh, Bravo reality show about Silicon Valley coming out, and somebody had made the comment, you know, when you're, you're in Silicon Valley, when you're at a party and everybody's got a drink in one hand and a and a smartphone in the other. This is the Middle Earth <laughs> equivalent. <laughs> you know you're in Middle Earth when Gandalf has a pipe in one hand and a sword in the other. Yeah, when everybody's running around with pipes and swords. Yeah. yeah. Uh, why does he? Who is he? It's it's kind of he does have this very perplexing look on his face. Like 
you know, yeah, like he's he he's staring the the viewer to say something about the the vandalism he's just committed. <laughs> either, either that or he's constipated. Yeah, that's yeah, true. I, it is. Yeah, it, his look is a little bit. I don't get his look there. I think, but I think Robert Brown has just corrected you about which part of the sword we see. He says the part pointing down is the quillin. I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, no, there's the part that's hanging down, but I mean, no, but I think we, I, I do think we can clearly see the cross piece of the sword, though, um, like the the uh, the the cross guard. I mean, I think it's I think that's definitely there, um, not the part that's in the light. Well, I don't know. Like I said, I wish I could point with more accuracy, but I can't. Oh well, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, so next we have. The unexpected party, and here's my question: uh, What the heck? What is up with that? What on earth is Martin what? Freeman doing at the unexpected party? Like Bilbo should not be sitting at the head of the table smugly with his chin up in the air. I mean, honestly, he's mugging he be sitting for the on a camera stool in the corner. Exactly. Now again, and here, this is the one where I am most willing to do, Dave, what you just said, and kind of give them the benefit of this is a promotional image. This is not necessarily a film clip, exactly. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Of, I'm a big fan. Is that is that Keeley behind him? Yes, over there. Uh, yeah, that, yes. there's a there's a very notice a, how many times Keeley shows up in this thing. That's a very oh, that's a very anachronistic pose right there. I don't think that's a pose any Middle Earth person has <laughs> ever actually make. That's like he looks like a it's like very frat party. Yeah, that's like a Facebook it is photo very frat pose. Party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, it's clearly – I mean, if you just look at it, I mean, this picture, I mean, okay, what do you notice about this – like, what strikes you about this picture? It's like, well, you got, you know, Gandalf looming in the background, right? Martin Freeman centered with all the food. But then you've got Aiden Turner and his hotness in and, the back. That's right. You know. And Gandalf still looks constipated. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> and it's still – yeah, it's, his uh, – okay. Oh, and we have the other hot elf, too. We have – we have uh, – Feeling yes. over there too. So, yes, looking yeah. so on the dwarf. Other side. dwarf, dwarf, dwarf. Come on, oh, Trish. Yeah, Come on, Trish. That's a good that's god. That's a telling <laughs> error. That's that's a very natural but I a very suggestive error. No, no, because see, that's exactly like we 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 are used to thinking and talking that way about the elves in certain the first know. films. Goddess, a, 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 but like the concept of hot dwarf is still so alien <laughs> that it's, it's weird true. to say. I can't say it. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't blame you at all. I think it's very natural. Oh, okay, wait. Bonus points. There's a clock on the mantle. Good. Oh, my goodness. Glad to see that anyway. The clock, That's of course, right. on Bilbo's mantle is very famous because it's the only thing in the entire Hobbit which is actually anachronistic. Um there's really no excuse for there being a clock on his mantelpiece. Um, pretty much everything else in The Hobbit can be, uh, you know, explained. Um, but that is the one thing which is just sort of purely anachronistic. Um, so, he purchased it anyway. from Saruman. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the latest Isengard technology. Um, and, and, okay, like, of all the things on the table, it's the lettuce we're going for? Seriously? <laughs> Yeah, you just grabbed a handful of salad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, like, there is salad. Also, I guess we should look at the food, too. I, There's cold chicken. Okay, could... are there pickles? Are there pickles? I don't see pickles. Maybe what are those pickles things there. in the in the back corner in front of Bilbo's left elbow? The red things, yeah. 
Those potatoes. Like potatoes or tomatoes? I think they're tomatoes. Why would you have yeah. a big platter of tomatoes, though? That tomatoes. That's what? why I was thinking maybe they're potatoes. It, it, but anyway, if it, I'm wrong, but it, it, are we supposed to believe it? Or if from the from the book, is the meal described in the book this kind of big and ostentatious? I thought it was a lot oh, of no, just kind of snacks. Well, I mean, it was it was just it was tea. So he's having tea and cakes at first, and he gets. But then they they continue to call for more stuff. So he brings out the beer because they ask for beer instead of tea. And then you know, and and he's getting more and more cakes and running out of cakes. And then when the later dwarves come, they're all placing orders. That's why I was looking for pork pie because there's clearly salad, obviously. Right. And Bomber orders pork pie and salad when he comes in. Uh, and there's you know mince pies and cheese. And it looks like there's definitely cheese. Um, Bilbo is looking decidedly smirky. I mean, it, I mean, the more I look yeah, at his I just, face, it's. I, and again, I, I'm kind strange. of hoping that this is just like pose for the promotional picture kind of thing. Like, if Bilbo ever is looking that pleased and comfortable, uh, you know, presiding over the party at the beginning, I, 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 I I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna be mad about that. Like that, <laughs> that is not right. <laughs> and that, that's that's. That that troubles me, but anyway, here's here's and there's Bomber. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, Bomber's holding what could very well be a pork pie. Oh right. So that makes me happy. Okay. Good. I'm assuming the picture right. of Thorin goes with the next thing, not with the. Yeah, I assume so too. Um, though he's kind of transitional. But anyway, yeah. no, notice that's not uh, that's not orc wrist. Oh good. That's well, at least story. they got that right. Yeah. yeah. So that's encouraging. Because um, that's definitely not the cleaver sword that he, you know, had, we've right. seen him waving around. So that's good. Um, why, now, the tr- why did the trolls leave their their cauldron unattended? Well, and what well, they do go and hide in the bushes, like as they're and there's Keely the again. Dwarf and there's there's <laughs> Keely very prominently. It's like they're sleeping in sleeping bags. That's he doesn't exactly look very upset. Yeah. But I'm thinking, yeah, exactly. They look quite comfy, actually. <laughs> they do. You know, they're just like having a little kip by the fire. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, though I, I, the juxtaposition of Thorin with his hand on his sword, looking like he means a little bit more business with it because we can see the sword so much more prominently. Um, uh, next to the dwarves in their bags does uh, is sort of suggestive they shouldn't have a cauldron but whatever anyway, like I said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get that like you know this is the kind of thing that I am definitely trying see the more I the more I do this the more I like start to like gradually relapse to like my like irritating purism that I have tried to leave behind so many years ago because this is exactly the kind of thing if if I were watching this film when I was still in high school like, I'm telling you I would have been so insufferable I just would have been like huffing and puffing <laughs> the whole time being like oh, oh they don't have a cauldron they have roast mutton on spits come on people um, but I mean they do talk about boiling the dwarves I know they own a cauldron but uh, and anyway it's certainly it's more scenic and and you know I can understand them wanting to uh, evoke the idea that uh, you know dwarves could be popped into the pot at any second. So, right. uh, and Greg uh, Daniels on Facebook has voiced the concern that Riddles in the Dark may be getting more cynical as time goes on. Yes, yes, I, I, it's, <laughs> I, I don't think to. so. I think we've actually been pretty optimistic. Do, do, do these people know so. us? Do they know? <laughs> 
<laughs> and you've said numerous times that it's your job to bring this stuff up. Yeah, and you know, and, and the, I don't know. I I I feel like I sort of go back and forth. You know, sometimes I will sound like a crank, and sometimes I'll sound like a shill. You know, so I, I, like a shill for Peter Jackson. So, you know, yep. It's hard to uh, it's hard to be right in the middle of that all the time. But that's right. So, but it's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. Though, did you so. see uh, Did so you see job. Ed's question? Uh, which just now? Uh, yeah, he wanted to no, know. No, I've if, got my question box. He wanted to know if it was. He wanted to know if it was a leaky cauldron. <laughs> Ed. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's keep going. No. Yeah, and Robert me. talks about okay. the barrel behind Bilbo. There's, what I mean, I was kind of wondering that too, what that is. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I think a lot of these Why images Bilbo are is... composites. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've got to be. Like Bilbo looks like he's sneaking around. Why Bilbo is sneaking around after the dwarves are already in sacks? I don't know. I mean, so yeah, I, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm trying not to do too much with the chronology, like the internal right. chronology, yes. of these pictures, which is why I'm hoping that. Which is the reason I'm holding out hope that Martin Freeman is not going to pull that face during the unexpected party. <laughs> yeah. Um, and guess anyway, who we okay, have so... in the next scene, front and center? Oh, look, it's hot <laughs> Aiden Turner. <laughs> Turner again. Hooray. And I think we have both hot dwarves there, don't we? Yes. Isn't that exactly. also, yeah. Exactly. Oh, oh and right. also there are other dwarves, but whatever. Ta-da! <laughs> um, yeah, no, that couldn't be more transparent. Um. Uh, and I, I'm not. See, this is where this now. Th- this is the place where the chronology of these pictures related to the story is, to me, most uncertain. I mean, this seems clearly to be them climbing up into the misty mountains, which right. should theoretically be after Rivendell over here. Um, so, I mean, this is going to be important later when we get to the question, which has puzzled many about what the heck is this bridge and what's going on here. Right. Um, This is one, I take this as evidence that these pictures are not, in fact, in strict chronological order. Um, They had to go with color. You know, they needed gray and then color and then gray. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, the the way that they've clearly flanked the the brightly colored Rivendell picture by the two dark pictures, that seems, whereas having this one right up against the the Gollum picture would be a little odd. So, yeah, I'm thinking... I'm thinking that, you know, and this one at the end is just kind of scenic. I mean, this fits in nicely with the, <laughs> you know, the, I mean, and obviously there's no attempt at serious chronology here as they cannot be all walking over a bridge that they are also at the same time floating underneath on the river. So um, obviously that's that it's a, sort of a, a, a pastiche within that. So, but anyway, on to... Um, uh, on to the Rivendell pictures, and we have uh, first the thing which is a little bit funny and not disturbing is the fact that now Elrond is like not a now there's nobody around. We were commenting at the on the previous picture how we had you know Elrond looking at the thing and Gandalf standing right there, and uh, um, it, and both Bilbo and um, Thorin kind of lurking in the background, but no part of the conversation. When, when now we've got Elrond just looking at the map all by himself, like he's not even paying attention <laughs> to anybody else. This is like a solo study of the map that he's doing here, um, with a huge. And my lips are danger. sealed at this point about the two in the background. Oh God! We'll get to that later. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> People are making way Next. too much out of okay, that. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> What did you say, Dave? So people are making too much out of that. 
Uh, I know. I hope so. I hope so too. Okay. Anyway, but uh, but I'm gonna get them off the screen. Okay. So okay. Here good. we here we have Bilbo. I really like this. Here's what I really like. I really like this image of Bilbo holding up his sword, um, and the light from the sword, and him staring at it. Um, you know, because this is the moment, of course, in the book. This is such an importance. The first time he ever draws his sword, and he realizes that it's a sword from Gondolin. So this image, which I kind of take to be Bilbo sort of staring at his sword in wonder, at least mm-hmm. that's what it looks like he's doing, um, is cool. And I'm, I, I, that's 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 my favorite bit from that. And you know, just Gollum. He doesn't okay. have a boat, but whatever. Uh, I want to um, I want to backtrack just for one moment. I want to throw something out. Given the 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 uh, the no, you don't have to scroll back. I just wanted to a comment that's okay. about one of the earlier scenes. Jan McCormack uh, uh, hypothesized that maybe uh, Martin Freeman's face is supposed to represent the Took side. Oh, maybe, maybe. I I really um, hope that that is not what the Took side is going to be. <laughs> yeah, I I just yeah I just I can't. Uh, no, I'm worried. There, are, that's one of the two things that has uh, left me disquieted after Comic Con. Um, is the the evidence all secondhand based on people's descriptions of the footage, um, but what evidence there is about how Bilbo's character is going to be handled at the beginning of the movie? I find yeah, kind of sad. But we'll get to that anyway. Okay. Moving along. So we've got wargs. Okay. Wargs are looking fierce and everything. Warg-like. Warg-like. Yeah. No, this is cool. Um, uh, we've got Bilbo alone in a tree into which not even Dory could have hoisted him, but that's okay. I mean, <laughs> you know, whatever. Looking a little bit like Smokey the Bear, but, uh, you know. Do those do those wargs look capable of carrying a tune? <laughs> They don't seem likely to, certainly. But, you know, the wargs don't really sing anyway. It's the goblins that sing, so... Um, but they do... Interestingly, we don't have goblins, I just realized. Yeah, I've looked at this scene no a couple goblins. times. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do hope that the on-screen wargs look like this and not like those bizarro things from the Two Towers. Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah, no, those were... The mutant um, hyenas. Yes, the hyenas. That's exactly what they look like. These look more wolf-like. That is very... The alien dogs. Alien dogs, (laughs) yes. Yeah. Okay, and here we have a heart-to-heart conversation between Gandalf and Bjorn. Yes. Bjorn's Uh, listening. Huge breath. Bjorn's a listener. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the eagle's in the background. Yeah. Yeah, we have eagles. Yeah. yeah, and again, there's no. I mean, I don't take any chronology from this, like internal chronology to this picture. I mean, we've just, we've clearly got the bears and eagles thrown <laughs> together here. Um, Brandon says that Bjorn's lecturing Gandalf about about the dangers of forest fires. <laughs> oh, only you can prevent forest fires, Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> With that juxtaposition, especially the way, I mean, like, the, the it's very well done. Like, yep. the burning forest to the forest in the background of this picture, it's very seamless. So, yeah, it really does look like Bjorn's like, hey, my forest! And Gandalf um, is looking suitably, you know, suitably chastised. Yes, slightly leaning back. Um, 
yeah, at least he's got it. He's found his staff again. You know what? But, I, um, I, you know what I kind of like about this this photo, uh, or it's not a photo. As Robert pointed out, this is probably entirely digitally created. Um, right. What I like about this image is uh, the fact that it's 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 anyone who's a fan of the books and has read them knows exactly who that is. Uh, anyone yes. who's not just sees a bear. So right. they haven't actually That's spoiled true. anything. <laughs> right. Point. Right. Yeah. No. No. That's true. Um, yeah. I, uh, I. I mean, I don't know. I hope that that thing isn't the Carrick. But. Oh yeah, gosh. It'd be kind of a disappointing. Kind of what what exactly is the Carrick supposed to be? Like, what should it um, look like? It should look like a very large rock, like a like a huge boulder that the that the river divides around, and there are like steps cut out of it to get up to the top. So it should it should look like you know a boulder the size of an apartment building, basically. Right, really um, really tall. Right, I always thought it was like super tall. Yeah, yeah. That the because uh, again he he goes up there to to look around. So I mean it should have it should be a good vantage point for the for the area around. That's why Bjorn goes up there. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it should just be like this big huge rock uh, in the middle of the river. Um, All right. Forward to it on one side, but the river running. Swiftly I, I, on the I other agree. Side. I really hope that's right. not the Carrick because that would be. Pretty yeah. Nice. I mean, if it's just like a kind of biggish rock, that would be. That would be <laughs> But maybe it's just supposed to suggest the character. I don't know. And so here we have some clear Bilbo. Okay, but I'm puzzled here because I mean this is obviously this is obviously Bilbo in Mirkwood. We've got the spider webs, but why is his sword glowing? Um, there well, are no goblins. He's ignited his lightsaber. Uh, yeah, it, he does look very Skywalker in that picture, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. In fact. Gosh, it looks almost like, I mean, I, I would almost be tempted to call that a reference. I'm because I, I can't remember, I can't place exactly where it was, but isn't the, like that posture even looks like. Yeah, it does. There's a, there's a moment in Star Wars when Luke is holding his lightsaber exactly like that. Might even be a promotional shoulder. poster. Okay, there's a there's a task for the listeners. Go go yes. find us. Prove that we're not just imagining this. Go find this this image. Yeah, I think I, it's it looks not just passingly like Luke Skywalker. I, anyway, um, I might not be correct about that, but. It sure does seem like, but anyway, that's doesn't that's, the sword seem of, a little long too? Yeah. Well, yes, the swords are always long. I mean, the, the, they were in the original movies too, and that's understandable. I mean, Tolkien kind of, um, kind of, well, kind of, kind of smooth smooths over it. We're told at the beginning that they're knives. You know, they're daggers. Uh, they're Numenorean daggers, uh, which he. Uh, you know, which which are large enough to serve the hobbits as swords, um, but they shouldn't be shaped like swords. You know, Sting is obviously never intended to be anything but a sword. I mean, nobody would just wear something like that exactly as a knife. Um, but but you know, it, it's like that's that's to me a perfectly understandable uh, kind of thing. You know, they're not going to have them carrying huge knives. You know, mm-hmm. like to 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 have. Uh, um, to have the the hobbits going into battle holding what would look like an oversized Bowie knife or something would mm-hmm. be really dumb looking. So, 
Um, so okay, and then so somehow the dwarves have have uh, uh, managed to remove the lids from their barrels, and Kiwi has managed to position himself <laughs> right into the camera. Why is he a camera hog? I tell yeah, you, God. <laughs> um, followed immediately by uh, that's that is Feely, right? The other hot dwarf is Feely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feely is the other hot. I, dwarf. I love how he, it looks like he's kind of lounging on his left elbow there. Yes. <laughs> I gotta say, Feely looks really suave in you know most. He of needs a drink with an umbrella in it in his other hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they do kind of it's, it, look it's, like they're making their way over to like the swimming pool bar, don't they? Yes, it yeah. does. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like those. It's like those, uh, you know, like a like at one of those resorts where they have the uh, the, the the huge. Ba- pool out back and they have like the kind of the, exactly. the the artificial river that you can float around on an inner tube <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly they look um, very yeah, comfortable why they're popping i mean and i guess it would make not a good picture to have them all sealed up in their barrels still um but uh but this is interesting i do wonder when they're gonna pop them out because it's it's it does create it does create a challenge because of course if they if they actually do it the way that it happened in the books uh in the books i say the book um then um you know they're going to be sealed up so basically bilbo will be the only character who appears on screen the only one of the company who appears on screen right. for a substantial he's invisible Right. I say appears, but um, <clears throat> yes, exactly. Or doesn't, as the case may be. But uh, but yeah, he's the only one who's not confined. It is rather a long time for us to have just sealed barrels on screen and trust that dwarves are inside. Um, so unless they're going to do the actual trip down the, the river relatively quickly on screen, which is possible, I suppose... Um, you know, I wonder. I, I wonder if the dwarves are going to pop their lids and poke their heads out. And well, and in the in the in the video log, and I think what a some other film too that he's they show the dwarves like this popped out of their barrels, mm-hmm. kind of doing a barrel ride down the river. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. Like I said, I can understand that, um, and it it obviously removes the whole raft men dynamic you know there's there's not going to be any which of course makes the whole thing wildly implausible i mean the only reason the barrel thing works um as 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 a means of i mean you can't just release a whole bunch of barrels in a river and expect them all to like float merrily down to a point many many miles down the river without help i mean they're going to get snagged on things uh and end up damming up the river so of course the way it actually happens in the book is they get released to a spot right outside you know right where the where the river comes out from underground and then they're collected and tied up and pulled down the river uh by the elves um until they get to Lake Town, whereas you know this idea of you know or at least what this picture shows of you know we are just riding in open barrels, which are which are you know the elves just kind of trust are eventually going to somehow make it down to Lake Town. But but again, you know whatever, I I I can understand the choice to have, and there's Bilbo looks like he is perched uncomfortably on a barrel, which seems right there in the front. But now this bridge thing. Um, this whole scene, like, if we are to understand that this background is in fact 
behind that bridge. Um, I don't know. I mean, they certainly don't seem to be captive here, if this is the dwarves. So it seems unlikely that it would be the gate into, uh, into you know, the Elven King's halls. But where else in Mirkwood would you have a build a bridge built like that? That's what well, I was sure. wondering. I don't think you would. But yeah. I'm wondering, could that be in Rivendell? That crossed my mind, actually. And I counted, and it does seem like it's the dwarves because I was counting. Yeah, because yeah. they if 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 they do cross over a bridge there, um, now of course, uh, you know, Thorin would not be in any danger of dipping his beard in the foam from that height uh, on this bridge. <laughs> but again, you know, whatever we could change that. Uh, but um, well, and then also, what, it, what happened to this bridge later? <laughs> like, why was why didn't Frodo and the Nazgul ride across this bridge? Oh yeah, no way. It wouldn't be there. It would have been. It would have been. It would have been elsewhere. I mean, there was a bridge like this, but see, I'm, I'm, I've focused on this central column here. There's too much. Uh, there's too much growth on this bridge. It's too worn down for it to be in Rivendell. Mm. So they've uh, got a better department of public works in Rivendell. It wouldn't look like. <laughs> that kind of... You know, uh, Robert Jones. Robert Brown did point out that the the photos have been for the most part, or the images have, for the most part, been in chronological order, so... Some deviation. So, like, again, I still take this... not this far in time, though. Yeah. I mean, for it to be Rivendell this late in the thing, yeah. Yeah. But uh, is it possible that this bridge is nowhere? It's it's the bridge to nowhere. Um, <laughs> but but is it possible? We're about to get to the other side, realize that, turn around and walk away. It's yeah, just, and then they're going to wonder really... why why did the government subsidize this project? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, well, okay. Is it possible that this here, is just here... nothing? The the artist just made it up, and it's conceivable, I suppose. It's also Peter says there's a Peter says there's a tower behind the bridge. Do you see a tower behind the bridge? A tower? I don't I see mean, any tower. It looks like is rocks. Is there a ruin at the top? Maybe? Oh. I don't know. Hard is that to tell. A, oh. Is that a, oh. Is that a tower? Is that a crenellation there? I don't know. Or it looks like the rock? waterfall is falling no. on it. So it, There's no tower, oh, yeah. Peter. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, ha, wait. There's this. There's some ruins down here. Mm-hmm. See, but that's the thing. I mean, like, whose ruins are these? You know, uh, first age, ancient people. Right. James says he only sees 13 figures. I think Gandalf is gone at this point. If, if this is the Elven King's Hall that they're yeah, going into, and, and there's 13 figures, yep. then Gandalf would not be with them. Right. And, and he's definitely not... Uh, I mean, he's definitely not there. I mean, he's so we'd much taller than the rest of them. Yeah. yeah. We'd, we'd, we'd definitely be able to see him in profile here. I wonder if this is... I mean, the, the best guess I would say... If it's not Rivendell, and it does seem unlikely for several reasons, then the only other bridge from the story that it could be is the bridge uh, across the river into uh, the Elven King's Halls. And in that case, them not being um, them not being bound and led uh, by led a... prisoners, that could simply be, again, another photo thing. Like they've just decided yeah. to put the silhouettes of them on the bridge rather than showing them... Um, right. Captured by the elves. For all we know, that's not even them. Right. <laughs> well, 
It's probably them. No, it's 13, 13 other tourists in record. No, with our no relation. And now I wonder if this is supposed to be the Lonely Mountain, because I so, sort of suspect that ah, off in the distance with the smoke around off it. Off in the distance. Yep. Yeah. That seems and likely. That's another good, and that's another positive thing. Again, it is in that moment, riding down the river on barrels, that Bilbo gets his first glimpse of the mountain in the distance. So I would not be surprised uh, to see that. So... Anyway, okay, so uh, enough of our um, our discussion of the scroll was certainly cynical. Um, but <laughs> anyway, there we go. Okay, so oh, we, wait, should, um, we should get... Uh, 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 Jan McCormick pointed out, go back to Elrond. Oh, Elrond, yeah. Look at the table. Scroll down, move down. Yeah. Ooh, what's that? Could it be a magical Nazgul blade? Oh, oh there. Nice. Uh, what's he doing with it then? Um, yeah, I wonder about the. I was. I was. Uh, Gandalf about brought it to them. Dagger. If you recall, uh, the the people what people described in the CinemaCon footage, it was it was Gandalf pulling out this Nazgul blade and presenting it to the council, saying like, "Hey, look, I've got the immortal magic, whatever Nazgul blade, proof that they opened the tomb." Right. Oh, the it wasn't Nazgul Jan. Blade. All right, I'm sorry, I'm confused. Somebody said that. I swear to God. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, I thought it was Gandalf in the. Yep. Yep. You talking about the Comic Con clip? Yeah, uh, the I mean, Cinema Con one. I yeah. seem to have. I seem Cinemacon, to have, yeah. I seem to have completely blocked the <laughs> Nazgul blade portion. Um, <laughs> denial. That's it. Just denial. Yes, I think. I think. I think that was denial. Um, but no. I mean, clearly, the way that this is composed. I mean, it's designed to be. There's no excuse for there to be a, a dagger on that table. So I mean, it's obviously placed there carefully, and the way that it works in sort of the overall composition of that part of the picture clearly is, you know, you've got that sitting in the middle of the table, which I think should. I mean, it. it it's slightly reminiscent of the way that the ring was sitting in the middle of that little table during the Council of Elrond scene. Yep. So there's something ominous about it. Um, I'm not quite sure what the what that parchment is either. You know, what he's holding, I would assume, to be the map that he's going to find the moon right. letters in. What the other parchment is underneath the knife, I'm not sure. I was thinking it was he, a skin, you know, like an animal skin that the knife could have been wrapped in. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it is very rough. Um, but yeah, it kind of looks like it might be a document. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it is just a just a wrapping. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah no, that does seem likely. But is there something... What's the shape in the background? It's the one thing visually... Because it corresponds... Visually with Elrond, right? You've got Elrond down here, and then those two right. in the frame, and then just like a hill. I don't, it's just weird because it's it's sort of it's like a standing stone it. almost. Yeah, it just kind of looks like something emerging <laughs> from the background. P- Peter claims this too is a tower. <laughs> <laughs> I personally think it's a a statue that Elrond commissioned of his likeness. <laughs> with eyebrow raised yes yep. yes so so yes so that anywhere anyone goes in the in the in the valley of rivendell they can always experience his his skepticism and disapproval and the eyes follow you wherever you go no yes. matter where you are in rivendell the eyes mm-hmm. follow 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, okay. So that's we should we should move on to. Uh, to <gasps> We're not even at Comic Con yet. I know. I know. Okay, but now we are. So, um, so all right. So I've uh, shut down the video feed there, and I'm pulling my questions box back out, and I've missed about 850 comments that people have made that you guys have been watching. So, um, all right. Um, so, so moving on to the actual Comic Con stuff. What do we want to talk about first? Let's see. Hmm. Where were we? Um, I didn't give you very much stuff. Let's see. Okay. So, oh, yeah. Actually, before... Never mind. I said we were going to move on to the Comic-Con stuff after an hour. No, no, not yet. Um, (laughs) First, I wanted to make a couple comments about the other thing that I've been receiving many, many, many links to, and that is the interview with Christopher Tolkien that was uh, published in the French uh, Journal Le Monde. Um, I um, I didn't think there was anything very surprising. I mean, it was surprising that he gave an interview. He very rarely does that. Um, I don't think that anything he said was very surprising. Um, and, you know, let me just sort of preface all of the remarks I have to say about Christopher Tolkien's comments with... Uh, you know, just saying, I have much compassion for his own point of view. Like, I know that um, people, I mean, even in Tolkien's own lifetime, he and his family were really hounded both by, you know, well-intentioned in, but clueless fans and uh, and and uh, others who were less well-intentioned. Um, and it is true that basically Tolkien was just completely unprepared for fame. You know, he was totally unprepared to, uh, you know, to, for celebrity and all of the negative things that celebrity can bring with it and was totally bemused by it and always taken aback. Um, and clearly his family was too. And there were, there were a lot, there have been lots of really bad things that have happened. Um, you know, lots of really sort of, you know, mean and unpleasant and, and, and rather horrible things that people have done to them and said about them and, and, you know, and, so you know, again, I have, um, I have. If if I were Christopher Tolkien, I would certainly have wanted to move to you know like a little cabin in rural France too. You know, I, I totally sympathize with that, um, and can completely understand why he feels, you know, why he has sort of separated himself from Tolkien fandom the way that he has, almost completely. Um, really for his own protection. And again, I, I, I get that. I understand that. And I can respect that. And I can sympathize with that. Um, and I certainly can also imagine... No, I can't really imagine. Um, I can only attempt to imagine at what seeing you know, the movies and the Lego sets and the action figures and everything else, what that must be like for Christopher Tolkien. You know, having having lived with this stuff, having heard these stories, you know, from his father's mouth and, and, and the, you know, having this be for many, remember, for like more than a decade, more than a solid decade, this story was very nearly a private matter between Tolkien and Christopher. You know, Christopher was the one he was working closely with throughout, you know, sending him drafts and getting feedback from him and Christopher, you know, making suggestions and and Christopher drawing up maps and helping him get his notes together and everything. I mean, this was this was like really 
a, quite a private thing. You know, the Lord of the Rings was really a quite private thing between Christopher and his dad. He knows what it meant to his dad. He, you know, he, I'm not going to say that he knows everything that Tolkien thought about it, that he, you know, is like the caretaker of his father's every thought and intention, because I don't think that's true. Um, but nevertheless, like it was, it, you know, so, so to see that kind of a thing, it was strange enough for it to be published and get millions of fans around the world and but but again to see this kind of stuff happen to it and all of the commercialization and everything else people very unfairly assume that the tolkien estate is profiting on all these things and is like you know i've heard many people you know whenever i've mentioned about the tolkien estate and how how difficult this must be you know people will often say very cynical things like oh yeah i'm sure they're crying all the way to the bank they're not they're not getting they're getting almost nothing and it is also to their credit the vast majority of what they do get from the sale of books and things they give away the tolkien fund is a charity i mean they get they have a charity established which through which they disperse most of their profits uh, from uh, the royalties on the books. So, so again, I, I, you know, the one thing that the Tolkien estate, I think cannot be uh, accused of with any fairness is greed. Uh, they and have profiteering. Absolutely. They have consistently acted to minimize their profits in every way possible. Oh yeah. Um, cause it, cause, cause like, all you have to do is go over to the OneRing.net's Facebook page uh, to mm-hmm. to see to see just how exactly the Tolkien estate could start profiteering if they wanted to. Like every time there's right. a post on, on on their posts about like oh maybe there'll be a third film. It's like a billion people who are like I can't wait for the Silmarillion movie. Despite despite right. the equal number of people who keep responding and saying. There's not going to be one. The Tolkien Estate owns no. the rights; they'll never sell them. And then the very next post, the person's like, "I really want a Silmarillion movie." You know, like <laughs> if they really, if they were, if they were greedy and they really wanted to profiteer, they would have, they would be um, um, licensing the, you know, every little bit of the Silmarillion and all the other unpublished materials that they could for tons and tons of money. You know, yeah, like it would be. Yeah. It'd be so easy to just take take the Silmarillion and just divide it up into a whole bunch of different little things that you license to this person, that person, this person, that person. Each one be turned into a mega movie. <clears throat> yep. Yep. No, it would be very easy. And I'm not saying that that's not ever going to happen. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, matters are going to change a great deal uh, with the Tolkien estate when Christopher Tolkien passes away. I mean, it's like Christopher Tolkien is 87 and he's not going to live forever. And I don't know what what the Tolkien estate is going to look like and how its policies might change under guidance other than Christopher's. It's never happened. So, you know, who knows? Um, That's the one reason I'm I I, I am not going to say we'll never see a Silmarillion movie. We will certainly never see a Silmarillion movie so long as Christopher Tolkien lives. I mean, that you could absolutely take to the bank. Um, um, He will never agree to that. But is that to say that his son and his children's children are never going to are, you know, are, 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 you know, I'm not going to say that. I don't know that. So who knows? But, um, uh, but anyway, so like I say, I have, I have great sympathy and I can only imagine, uh, as I say, like, you know, something which is, you know, which, which he is so invested in, which he respects so much, which he understands so well, um, which is so meaningful to him on so many levels, both, you know, sort of philosophical, religious, personal, familial. I mean, there are so many, the whole thing is fraught with so much meaning and significance for him and for them, as is perfectly understandable and perfectly appropriate. To, I, I can only imagine what having something which is that meaningful to you and seeing it, seeing it, 
um, you know, in like action figures and cartoons. Like I, 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 I can't imagine what that would be like. So I can understand his reaction. But here's the here's the main thing that I have that I have to say um, with uh, with with Christopher and uh, uh, Trish. Thanks for typing out this quotation because this this is I think really sort of the heart of what he had to say um, in that interview. And that is, uh, so the quotation is, the chasm between the beauty and seriousness of the work and what it has become has gone too far for me. Such commercialism has reduced the aesthetic and philosophical impact of this creation to nothing. There is only one solution for me, turning my head away. And to me, the, the most conspicuous statement and the, the primary thing that I disagree with him about um, and, you know, which I would disagree with him to his face if I ever met him, um, which seems unlikely, uh, is that the reduction of the aesthetic and philosophical impact of this creation to nothing um, and what I think, you know, he, he, he talks in that article about feeling a kind of intellectual despair. I don't think there's any cause for despair. Um, I think that there is actually, there is much cause for hope. Um, because, and this, I think, is the consequence, and a fairly natural consequence, of the way that he has, very understandably, as I said, shut himself off from Tolkien fandom. By doing so, of course, he has saved himself and his family much, much grief, and that's good. But he also has not gotten to see the kind of impact that even in its current form, um, the story has still had for people. And for me, the reason I cannot agree with him about the Peter Jackson films, um, which I don't think, um, which I don't think he even... uh, well, I, I mean, I, I disagree with his assessment of the films in general. Um, uh, even the films are more than simply an action movie designed to cater to 15 to 25-year-old men. There's more to them than that. Like, yes, that 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 demographic was catered to, um, but there's there's still even there's more to even the films than that. Um, but anyway, the major point is, I, I mean, as a as a as a teacher. Through my podcast, what I have seen again and again and again over the last 10 years are thousands and thousands of people who have come to discover Tolkien and have a lifelong appreciation for the aesthetical and philosophical aspects of Tolkien's world and his works because they saw the films. Um, that, you know, it, 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 it is to me not even a contestable statement that the Peter Jackson films have greatly extended the reach of Tolkien's books. Um, and, you know, it, I, I, no matter what you think about the, even for people who hate the films um, and think that they're an absolute abomination, like, you know, I don't think that, but, I, but I, I know I can understand that point of view, but even people like that, I would say you have to, you have to admit the films have been a net gain for Tolkien studies. There's yeah, yeah. No I mean, around. just the, the very fact that there's fans having conversations about whether the films are true or not, that that people have a deep enough understanding and appreciation of the books to be able to watch the films and, and make judgments about particular decisions. You know, the, the, the fact that when we watch these films, people, people, in my opinion, 
despite whatever Peter Jackson might say, that people, a lot of people watching these films have just as deep appreciation and understanding of the source material as Philip Boyens or Peter or Fran, and that that we can we can make in, intelligent, insightful comments about. Well, I I don't I disagree with this decision because I think this you know really drastically changes this core piece of this character and that kind of stuff. I, I think Christopher Tolkien is underestimating um, the uh, the 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 sort of like the depth of the appreciation and understanding of those books that is pretty widespread. I mean, for every, I'm sure for every really, really intelligent fan, there's another five who just, you know, play the video games and watch the movies and think it's just an action, you know, uh, think thinks of it the same way they think of a lot of the modern fantasy. But there is a really sizable population of people out there who are, you know, working their way through the histories of Middle Earth and, and study and like learning, right. learning Sindarin and stuff like that. And many of those people came to it from the films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that's that I, I just that is that, that that can't be disputed. I've seen it too many times. Um, and I know that, um, you know, that there is the, 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 the fact is there's a whole generation of Tolkien fans who are going to owe their introduction to Tolkien's world to Peter Jackson. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Now, I have to admit that I do still get kind of uh, a little bit annoyed when I hear people identify themselves as Tolkien fans and they've never read the books. Um, that happens, of course. They're not really Tolkien fans. They're, but they are Lord of the Rings fans. Right, I mean that is they they're 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 fans of the films. They play the games. They've never read the books, but they consider themselves Tolkien fans. This kind of always sort of blows my mind a little bit. But this is also another one of those things that I think the the aesthetic and philosophical impact of the work has not dropped to nothing. There is a reason why people are drawn to the films and to you know to 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 the, you know to Lord of the Rings Online uh, and other things over other, you know, why people are playing Lord of the Rings Online instead of playing World of Warcraft, for instance. I mean, there yeah. are reasons for that. And I actually yeah. think that even in what I think any fan of Tolkien's books would call a heavily diluted and altered form, nevertheless, there still remains power in the story that even even in the adaptations of the stories and even if it is different and it is different but it's a retelling trish i really like your the point that you were making about this on on facebook about mythology you talk about that for a little bit what did i say <laughs> yeah let me go find it well, you were talking um, I, about Tolkien succeeding basically in, in writing yes yeah that's right i said you know that his uh, well, and the thing that makes me sad is that he, you know, he doesn't understand that Christopher doesn't understand me. His father set out to create a mythology for England, and I said I think he succeeded far beyond expectation in yeah. doing that. I mean, it's a mythology for the world. Um, and the thing I was going to say about what you just said is, is you know, the fan fiction, if you will, the, the Born of Hope, the Hunt for Gollum, right. Lord of the Rings Online. I think the, the makers of those are definitely Tolkien fans, and they are mm-hmm. very, very conscientious about staying true to the world and to subcreation and and i think that's an homage to him and i just it makes me really really sad that christopher isn't able to, and i understand just like you said why he can't see it yeah. but it's just really sad that he after doing so much himself and keeping his father's flame alive and doing that whole you know posthumous work that he did dedicating his life the thought that he would pass away not knowing 
this is just so sad to me. Yeah. You know, to, to, to sort of make a parallel from within Tolkien's world, it's like that desire of the elves to preserve things unstained, right? That desire to keep things as they were, um, which is a good thing and which is a beautiful thing. And its loss is sad within Tolkien's world. But there's also... Um, there is there is a definite tension there, even within Tolkien's world, that desire is not always a good thing. Um, you know, that there is... And this is something that I think actually Tolkien himself was kind of divided on. On the one hand, he did want to write mythology. You know, he, he did have his, his, his dear dream... Um, you know, certainly when he was younger, and he says later on that he sort of gave it up, but it's unclear to me. Um, I mean, he, he certainly gave up actually trying to write like a, a mythology. Like when he says he was writing a mythology for England, I mean, it includes things like, you know, how the island of Britain came to be formed and right. stuff like that. And certainly that element of it drops out um, very quickly. You can see it drop out, um, thanks to Christopher Tolkien in the history of Middle-earth. But, um, but what doesn't change is that desire to do to to do mythology to write a living mythology mm-hmm. um to write myth in this in this bigger sense that he was so um was so sort of firm on was you know was 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 and that this is what happens this is what happens to mythology if you're going to write something which is going to have that kind of a mythic impact on readers well guess what you cannot i i would say it, in my in my book, actually, it's almost like a litmus test. If a work of fiction does not inspire people to want to write more stories from that world and to retell and adapt the stories, then I would say it cannot, in fact, have mythic impact. I think the two of them go together. I think they're absolutely inextricable. So if he succeeded, and he did... Then this is this is this is then you can't have the purity. You can't have the insistence on like only this one story. Nobody else can can tell the story. It can't have any other versions. It can and does. Homer was really powerful. That's why people spent thousands of years telling new versions of that story. And they weren't trying to stay true to Homer. And there's no there's no emphasis on staying true to Homer. Who cares? You're telling the Trojan War story, and you're making it your own. That's what people did. And so are, are the values of the films different? Yes. Are the values of the, of, you know, the video games different? Yes. Are, are, are the values of you know, Born of Hope different? Yes, they are. Well, of course they are. They're different people telling different stories. Just as you know, when the Romans retold uh, the story of the Trojan War, it didn't sound exactly the same as Homer did. But no one is, you know, you're not going to have, at least you shouldn't have, you know, sort of ancient Greek purists running around saying, oh, they're screwing up Homer. No, they're retelling the stories. Well, I don't know. I think if they saw it, I think if they watched the Clash of the Titan movies, they might say that. <laughs> well, you know, they might. But see, even those. Like, not, the, are not, those the, films... not the old Harry Hamlin ones. The old Harry Hamlin one is brilliant. <laughs> yes, yes. It's no, nice. I know. I mean, I, I've se- I haven't seen all of them. I've seen some of the some of those modern films. I think it was that Clash of the Titans that I saw. That was the that was the um, the Perseus one, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, I did see that, that... Um, and it was reasonably awful. But 
<laughs> the, the point and is... The sequel, the sequel managed to top it in awfulness. Oh, I can only imagine. I, I Actually, I saw that one on the plane yep, home. that's where I watched it, too. Wales. And the sequel was on the plane when I just flew back from England, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm so not going there. <laughs> I can't, can't even bear it. So I watched, I watched Sherlock instead, which was, a, which, which was an excellent choice. But anyway. Oh, I'm so glad and, you got to see that. And see, there's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a perfect counterexample, because there's an example yes. where a, a, um, a, a Doyle perfe- perfectionist might say, like, oh, they changed it, and yeah. yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But actually, I, it's, a brilliant, yeah. it's a brilliant spin on it that I personally think stays very true to it, so... I, yeah, I, here, okay. Here's my thinking, um, and I'm going to try to use this to segue us into talking about Comic Con. <laughs> Good idea. I, I think that I think that Christopher Tolkien is too. He's being too sort of categorical and uh, and, and, and painting with broad strokes. You know, I, I think I think the statement that he makes is true, but it's too but it's it's too absolutist. He he says that the uh, that the commercialization reduced the aesthetic and philosophic impact to nothing. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it reduced it to nothing. Um, nope. You know, I think somebody somebody in the comments pointed out um, uh, him fighting to keep uh, Lord of the Rings imagery off of um, uh, off of like um, uh, like slot machines at casinos. That kind of commercialization does run the risk of reducing it to nothing. But I don't think the films yeah. or the Lego sets or the video games or any of that reduces it to nothing. I think it maybe dilutes it some, but I think that's that's unfair. I also think that um, um, I think that uh, Peter Jackson isn't necess- You know, I, I think he also needs to sort of separate. You know, Peter Jackson from the studios. I think that there right. are definitely people involved in this production working for the studios who are, you know, much the way the way that they do since they're running businesses. They're looking and saying, yeah. can we make money off of this? Right. I, I, don't, I don't think Peter Jackson's in it for that. I think Peter Jackson, you know, I think he makes choices that I don't agree with, but I don't think that he is out to rampantly profiteer or to, to you know, warp the story into his own version. I think he's really is an artist trying to make art that's, you know, based on something that he loves and retelling a story. So now, yeah. if he takes all the extra material, if he drags out these Hobbit films and splits the second one into two and makes a third film or decides to just, you know, dredge up stuff from the appendices and spin out another film instead of just quitting while he's ahead and calling it a win and saying it's time to move on and make other stuff and let somebody else pick up the uh, the other material if anyone's going to. That if if he refuses to do that, if he decides he's got to make at least another few films and and you know base them on even less on the books than before, I might reassess him. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the stuff. The number one thing I remember discussion a long time ago, like when people when when there was first discussions of more, you know, Middle Earth films coming out. The thing that people were talking about was the Aragorn stuff from Appendix A. And in particular, the like exciting background stories of Aragorn's early career, riding with the Rohirrim, and especially his time as Thorongil in, in Gondor and the the you know, with the culmination of the battle, uh, you know, wh- where he saves everything and then disappears afterwards. Um, you know, there's all that stuff, which I seem to remember, and this was years ago. I mean, gosh, this was probably 2005, 2006. It was a long time ago. Um, 
and he was making comments about that and how much he liked that stuff. Um, and that's the way you know, we talk about like stories, you know, not told, are there other things that they could do? I would wonder, I can't imagine it's really hard to see how it could be possible. People are talking about like, Oh, maybe the Hobbit will be three films. That seems to me dumb. I mean, like they've already planned and allotted for the, I, I mean, so what? They're just going to say at this point now, like, oh, and by the way, we've, yes, we've scripted two films, but we've decided instead to stretch them out to three. Like, I just, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's hard for me to see that happening. But could I see him wanting to come back and do another film afterwards? Yeah, I can imagine it. I can imagine it, especially if he, if, you know, something in that between that, something that is chronologically in that in between period, um, you know, in the, in the years between uh, the end of The Hobbit and the beginning of The Fellowship of the Ring, um, in particular with some stuff with, some of the stuff with, with Aragorn's story. Um, that, I, that I could imagine. But I personally it, it am will hoping, actually happen? I don't know. I, I'm hoping for a film that mostly just sort of follows Bilbo in the Shire as he interacts with people, <laughs> throws parties, <laughs> gives away presents... I would like to see a movie where the, the uh, oh, go ahead, Trish. I was going to say, fresh from the latest Fellowship of the Ring session with with Corey, I'd love to see uh, a film where we see Farmer Maggot and Tom Bombadil schmoozing. Yes, <laughs> yes, those, those are the details that people really want filled in. I, I yeah. think a film where the climax is uh, is uh, Frodo's parents drowning would be the way to go. <laughs> That'd be the opening. We'd have a voiceover, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, maybe. Oh, goodness. Um, I, 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 in seriousness, I think I would enjoy a film uh, of um, of Aragorn running around, uh, maybe burning the ships yeah. in Umbar. Yeah, yeah. That could be kind of cool. But I, I don't know. I'm kind of inclined to – I don't I'm – not, I'm not against somebody making those. I'm sort of more – thinking like Peter Jackson time to move on dude let somebody else do right. it right you know like I, I'm I, I'm I just don't want to be a fanboy it's like basically anything that Peter Jackson makes I will go watch it right. and consume it you know they, they, that, that's that's then then my opinion is when he is risk running the risk of of going right. from being an artist to being a, a you know a, a sort of somebody who's taking advantage advantage of, of rampant consumerism where any movie they turn out will will line up and go watch it in the theaters and spend money on Lego sets and stuff. It's like, you know, move on, let somebody else pick it up so that, so that we can be sure that it's still artistry and not just, you know, consumerism. So that you don't become... Right. Brandon Lucas, wants anyway, to see, yeah. um, that's right. Brandon wants to see Tom Bombadil the movie. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Just yes. take that poem. <laughs> tell, tell the story of, tell the story of Tom Bombadil from the beginning. Yes. Just the, all of the events of his life. Yep. The confrontation with the badger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be an epic scene. The kidnapping the of his the, the kidnapping of his wife. Yes, the sort of his kidnapping by his wife, and then yeah, exactly. No, uh, that would be. It would awesome. be a love. I think a romantic comedy starring Tom Bombadil and Golden. <laughs> it would have to be a comedy, right? I mean, you couldn't do anything that wasn't a comedy with Tom Bombadil. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I have to say. Oh, 
I respect it. I respect that choice not to put Tom Bombadil on screen. Like it's not just for the sake of efficiency. Um, to me, Tom Bombadil is like the embodiment of what you can do well in a book that you can't do well on right. screen. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just right. like you actually put it anything like Tolkien described it, and it is gonna—he's gonna look like a complete idiot. I mean, it would <laughs> be awful. Like the more true you were to the book, the worse it would be on screen. Yeah, it would be terrible. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I mean, uh, uh, so yeah, I, I know that's, uh, that's <laughs> meet the bombadils. <laughs> meet the bombadils. <laughs> Peter, Peter, and Keiko's man. Keeping up with do, the do you bombadils. Think we yeah. Keeping up with the bombadils. Yeah. Oh God! You think we should talk about Comic Con? Hey, that's a good idea. How about we talk about Comic Con? <laughs> Okay, so, um, all right, so, gosh, what else is there to talk about? I think we're good. Well, I'm I'm basically, I'm I'm not wanting to go through every little thing. There's some things that we've talked about on the Facebook page and stuff, uh, like Thorin and his Oaken Shield, for instance. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't have too much else to say about that other than I, than what, I said on my Facebook page, which is basically that it's, uh, it strikes me as a little bit weird. I mean, it's kind of cool to to think that he, uh, you know, kept the Oaken club that he used in the battle of as an old and is still carrying it around. Um, Like there's something that's, that's like a little bit awesome about that, but it just strikes me as really kind of weird. I mean, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it could be done and does it raise my hopes for the battle of, as an old bazaar, no. Though, as somebody, I can't, I can't remember who pointed out. Oh, and here's my phone ringing. That's brilliant. Stop ringing my phone. Um, okay, sorry. It's, it's not obeying. Okay, yeah, my, I, I've made it obey. Okay. Um, so the, anyway, the thing I was saying about that is, it does seem to me a little bit odd. Um, you know, why would he still be carrying it around? Somebody said, and I don't remember who, that um, the um, the fact, you know, the, the the fact of the Oaken Club does sort of suggest that they're not, you know, that that perhaps our worst fears about the rolling together of the Battle of Azanul Bazaar and the Battle of Five Armies is not going to come to pass. You know, that there is maybe it is an indication that there is going to be a very clear distinction between that battle in the past, which motivates us in certain ways, and that battle that is coming in the future, where these things are going to come together. Um, I'm hoping that it does point to that that arc. Um, I don't know if it gives me more more hope for mention of burned dwarves, but uh, it's possible, I suppose. It also might um, just be it also might just be a uh, uh, a really really big fan of the Battle of Azanol Bazaar working at Weta. Uh, <laughs> yes. Because yes. one thing about those those statues, <laughs> the the only place you can get those could get those was at the Weta booth at Comic Con. So when these when these statues go on sale online, they will not have the shield. So yeah. I, I don't know. And, and and similarly, the 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 the, the, the smog figure statuette that they were selling is is 
you know, as you point out, Corey, pretty clearly the John Howe, you know, Smaug, and not yeah, necessarily yeah. the film one. So, I, yeah, I think it's they're just a statue version of that painting. Yeah, I think they're I think they're more just Weta Workshop sort of you know uh, stuff that they're making that that shouldn't we should not read too much into it in terms of the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, they, I agree. Because they definitely exercise a certain amount of independence. Like Weta Workshop is definitely exercises a certain amount of independence from the the movie marketing machine. Right, right. Yep, yep. No, it's the fact that it is depicted by somebody somewhere at Weta does certainly doesn't mean that that thing is going to appear in the film. Absolutely. Um, okay, so there are a couple. Let's go, let's go with sort of two um, large-ish issues, and then we can go back over some specific things related to previous predictions and discussions. Um, the one large issue, and these are both, these are the two things that I found depressing. Um, the one large-ish issue is the depiction of Bilbo, um, and the way, in particular, from the accounts of the um, unexpected party clips, um, the, and the, again, this was posted on my Facebook page too. Um, that the you know the dwarves observing that Bilbo is hardly burglar material, uh, and Bilbo happily agreeing with him with them that he is not burglar material. Um, that was though it might seem a small thing, the thing I found most disappointing uh, about everything that was revealed at Comic Con, um, because that does suggest to me that they're not going to be. I don't know. The implication there is that they're not going to be really thoughtful about the token Baggins thing, that they're not going to really be working with the psychological complexity of Bilbo's character that we saw uh, in the book. Um, you know, and maybe uh, it's obviously they're going to be interested in some degree of psychological complexity of Bilbo. I mean, we saw, you know, certainly we saw many times in the Lord of the Rings films, them trying to add psychological complexity that wasn't there, you know, to add conflicts and dilemmas and things which were not there uh, in the, in those characters in the book, Um, you know, like Aragorn, like, Oh no, I've turned away from that path, you know, whatever. Um, That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Um, so obviously they're they're going to have some kind of you know character arc and development for Bilbo. Um, the fact that he would be that he would not have that any kind of tookish reaction that he would not try to live up to Bil- to Gandalf's recommendation as he does in the book that I find kind of sad because that strikes me as really flat. Um, and I, I I hope that they're not going to flatten Bilbo's character in the way that that makes me fear. I get the impression that, I mean, I agree with you, and I think it's too bad, because I get the impression that what they're basically doing is applying a particular trope, nothing to do with The Hobbit. They're applying the reluctant hero trope. Yes, yes. You know, and it's kind of predictable to the audience. Yeah, and I mean, of course, there's some place for, you know, predictable, um, as far as character tropes are concerned. Um you know, to give the audience something to kind of latch on to. Right. But yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think that that, that's the kind of thing that would disappoint me most. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I try very hard not to be a purist about details or to say like, oh, they're doing the story wrong in this way. But um, to say we're going to, you know, 
there are so many things that are re- that would translate really well um, to film mm-hmm. uh, that are uh, that are actually going on there in the Hobbit that I would be um, I would be sad to see those just kind of cashed in for um, for that kind of as you say that kind of a simplistic trope. I I, I so I do hope um, I do hope that that doesn't happen but as i say that so i you know and i'm trying not to make too much of it especially all just as with comic con stuff or the uh cinema con stuff um you know we're getting secondhand accounts we're just getting somebody's verbal description right. of the film clips that they saw live um you know i don't know that the quotation is exactly right they say you know that he said that happily you know exactly how is that going to fit within the context of the film that we're going to see maybe it's not going to come Maybe it's not going to come off exactly like that uh, when we see it, but um, but it did raise some concerns for me that um, Bilbo is. Because, I mean, it does fit with what we saw in the trailer. That one bit we've talked, which we've talked about many times. That bit in the trailer where, where he's like, "I am a Baggins of Baggins," um, and uh, it, he doesn't sound particularly divided in his heart there. And so I don't know. Do you, so, do you as think I said? And that, do you think it's possible? Go ahead, go, I mean, ahead, do you think it's possible? You know, we're latching on to these sort of singular moments or lines, but it could be that there's a whole bunch of um, sort of uh, other scenes that were not being shown that are in tension right. with this, like you know, Bilbo yep. jumping up and saying, "I'm going to do it," and 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 I personally think for doing this on screen when you don't get to do all the internal monologues and stuff um, you know at the end of the day what happens is that he goes on the quest and so right. and so the and he ends up doing all this stuff and the tookishness is obvious it's easy to portray him as and they're going to do this as an action hero and as a as a, a quintessential took so they really have to counteract that by playing up the Baggins side. And, and, and the Baggins side is hard to do on screen because you can kind of show him wandering around the Shire and sitting and being comfortable, but, but that doesn't really, you know, that, that may not necessarily, the viewers may not get it. They may not understand yeah. the, the import of that. And also, if they end up axing a whole bunch of footage from the beginning, you may even lose a lot of that stuff. So the easiest way to, to make it clear that he's a Baggins is to have him you know, to sort of do these methinks he doth protest too much moments where, you know, he right. he agrees he's not a burglar, he says I'm a baggins a bag end, he faints, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. um Right. And like Which I mentioned to Dave yesterday, you know, in the trailer we do see a scene where he's jumping a fence to join the dwarves. You know, it's like the next morning, I'm assuming. You know, and there's I mean he's jumping the fence, you know, right. presumably with presumably without a handkerchief. And so we do there is some mini mini character arc that apparently take you know, takes place there at Bag End. And, you know, I think Gabe, you're probably right. You know, there's probably other scenes that we haven't seen yet that maybe we're hanging too much on yeah, I hope so. I hope so, and that's why I'm trying not to go too far with it. But I said it was it was I was slightly disquieted by that. Um, I do think also though that um, his that uh, Dave, you're absolutely right about the internal stuff. I mean, you go back to that scene in the book. The you know the took side had one scene. Um, you know when he when he's offended by overhearing Glow and say he looks more like a grocer than a burglar. That is all internal. I mean, that's a fat mm-hmm. paragraph of telling us what's going on inside Bilbo's head, um, you know, when he goes out, you know, on screen, if you depicted it exactly as Tolkien described it, all we would see is <laughs> him overhearing Glowen and then, you know, 
pulling some kind of like upset face and walking out and delivering his line, you know, pardon me if I overheard words that were not intended. Um, so, it, I mean, you wouldn't be able to convey that because it's all internal. Um, uh, it would be very difficult to do. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. You have to have different approaches. I just hope that their um, that their approach is going to be. Um, I, as I say, I just I just hope that they're not going to that they're not going to flatten him out too much. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we'll see. So that was that was that was one thing that I uh, that really jumped out at me from the accounts of the film footage that they were showing. Um, the the other big question. This is I know the one that that uh, that Trish was particularly head up about was the Gandalf. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm trying to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and this is sparked primarily <sighs> by Ian McKellen's words, right? Um, yeah, me, so, yeah, uh, for me it was because I could overlook. I could overlook the clip. I could overlook people saying, "Oh, this." this sorry, my fairy. Oh, you. Who on the how is is back? Okay, right. so well, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go on to describe it while uh, Trish tries to control who on the hound. Um, uh, so. Uh, Ian McKellen, in one of the interviews, says uh, Gandalf does some unexpected things, and he says something about being in a relationship. Um, and uh, uh, and then it says it ends with what I perceived is quite a tender moment. This is McKellen again talking. It ends with what I perceived is quite a tender moment between Galadriel and Gandalf, hinting at an unspoken ache in Gandalf's heart for the attentions of this celestial being standing before him. Um, so yes, people are beginning to make a lot of the like you know the, like to have some kind of romantic tension between now actually that wasn't yeah. McKellen that that quote wasn't from McKellen that was oh from, it wasn't uh, okay. no that was from a reporter okay. who saw the the clip okay so I... all McKellen said in his interview was just something like oh Gandalf's going to be doing some unexpected things and then he says something about a relationship yeah, I don't necessarily remember that it was absolutely being in a relationship yeah I mean I just gives like because I hadn't seen this, I hadn't seen this other stuff first, and I'm like, "Well, that's weird." Gandalf in a relationship, and then it was like, when I saw this other, I'm like, "Oh my god, it can't be Galadriel." <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm just going to register my general feeling that I, I think people are making way too much out of this, uh, I, I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna base this on two things. One, anything that any actor says, I take with a grain of salt. Um, Absolutely. Ever, uh, particularly ever since Benedict Cumberbatch said something about being involved in the Battle of Five Legions, I've decided that <laughs> that I don't care how much the actor says, oh, I'm a big fan, I, I love Tolkien, I, I don't trust any of them to actually know what's going on or what scenes they're participating in or anything about the book. And and also, I, pr- I think also the thing to, to keep in mind is that you know, a lot. Every actor has a different sort of approach, and I think a lot of them sort of craft stories or 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 imagine, you know, sort of what what is my character's frame of mind in this scene, and fill in details that maybe aren't in the script in order to help them get into character. Right. Um, the other thing I would say is is you know recall that recall. So try to think back to like wh- wh- how did they handle romantic moments in um, uh, in the Lord of the Rings films. You know, we had characters who were explicitly romantically involved, Aragorn and Arwen, and those were pretty restrained. And then they even tried to play up, you know, they, 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 in order to create love triangle, they played up Eowyn yes. and, and Aragorn. And 
you know, like, to the extent that they did it, it still annoyed me a bit. But yes. let's face it, it was almost nothing. It was a few looks, some glimpses here and there, a few sort of moments, but it was pretty tame. And so I'm really disinclined to think that they're really doing much, you know, in here, or that, or that if there's even any element at all, it's going to be a very ambiguous, very, very short, you know, on-screen moment that, that you know, the the people on the internet will take and run with it. You know, the same people that 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 write fan fiction about Draco Malfoy and um, uh, uh, and um, Hermione and people like that because right. because they like they like that but those people are already writing those fanfics trust me so I don't, I <laughs> right. don't think it's that right. big a deal well I do have your I do have your voice in my head Dave saying do not trust the actors and I do think you know the other thing I was kind of keying off of was in the trailer if you remember in the trailer there's that really short scene where Galadriel is is, is wiping a, a, a hair out of Gandalf's face you know very mm-hmm. very tenderly but uh, here's where I've gotten to okay so this is where I've gotten to is I think what may be shown is a deeper a deeper friendship than what we see in the legendarium in other words obviously not in the hot it. We don't see it. But I mean, I think what's going to be shown is more this very strong relationship that's you know lasted thousands of years kind of thing. And it's not going to be it's not going to be romantic. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I've decided. Yeah, well, see, <laughs> and here's 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 the other the other thing that I come back to. And I don't know exactly what direction to take it. But the fact is, um, certainly modern American audiences seem almost incapable of taking any kind of strong emotional attachment between two people and not thinking that it's sexual in nature. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you can't... Yeah, yeah you're it, right. It's always characterized that way. I mean, it's like any kind of love or affection must be sexual. Um, right. I mean, this is... I mean, and you don't even have to go to Frodo and Sam, which is, of course, the big example that really annoys <laughs> me. Um, because, again, to, to sexualize the relationship between Frodo and Sam is, in, is not just to miss the point about what's going on between Frodo and Sam, but, in fact, to cheapen human relationships in general. Uh, like, the fact is, there are many kinds of relationships and many kinds of very deep and very passionate emotional relationships that can happen between people that don't have anything to do with sex. Even, despite the fact that modern Americans seem not able to grasp that idea. Conceive of that, yes. Um, and, and, and in particular, this is one thing as a medievalist that really annoys me, because um, in the Middle Ages, they did not have that point of view. Um, like yes, they were perfectly. They were very fond of sexual relationships, but um, they were also equally fond of things like friendship and even the relationship, you know, between siblings and 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 even more importantly, that is even more different from modern. Uh, from the modern point of view, the relationships between sovereign and 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 uh, uh, you know and vassal, um, those relationships were really meaningful, and they spoke about them. And they were love relationships, and they were passionate love relationships. We don't use we don't even use the word love. Um, it's, it's it's very it's very rarely used. It can be used between parent and child, uh, but other than that, it's very rarely used in a non-sexual right. context. And certainly, any kind of expression of affection or of, certainly of passion, and it just really it's 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 like a, a, a general pet peeve of mine about our yeah. society. Yeah. But I don't know which yeah. which way this cuts. It may well be that what 
Peter Jackson is going for there is showing some kind of connection between the two of them. He wants to show that they are, you know, th- that they are allies, but they are allies in a different kind of way. And I think it's right. true that they're allies in a different kind of way than than, than Gandalf and and Goad and uh, and Gan- uh, Gandalf and Elrond are allies. Right. Um, right. You know, they do the way that. Um, the, you know, we know from you know what we know from Tolkien is that uh, you know Gandalf Coadriel was Gandalf's advocate. Um, you know that she did have an enormously high respect for him. She was the one who really saw that he was the important player. You know that he was the one who was going to be the you know the sort of what he plainly becomes by uh, by the end of the. Lord of the Rings, the primary opponent of Sauron, that if there is, you know, the one person who is the captain of the good guys, the one guy who is who is really going to be orchestrating and leading the opposition to Sauron, it's going to be Gandalf. She was the one who saw that more than anybody else. Um, so, you know, so she has this kind of respect for him, and he, um, you know, and, 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 and he, you know, most likely reciprocates that and we you know the way that he speaks of her is different than the way he speaks of Elrond for instance so so again like depicting uh, you know a really a profound like uh, friendship with you know affection even and uh, and deep respect are people who watch the movie in which such a relationship was depicted, are they going to think like, oh, like he has the hots for her? Of course they are, because that's what they always <laughs> whenever anybody does something like that. I mean, so so I don't know if that means it's just, but of course, also, I have to say Hollywood is equally guilty of it. I mean, this is true. it's basically playing up sexual tension um, yeah. in relationships in which there need be no sexual tension of any kind. Um, so that doesn't mean saying this doesn't mean, I mean, I do think that fans are going to overplay that or over overreact to it, but that doesn't mean that Peter Jackson isn't going to overreact to it either. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. but I certainly my, do agree with Dave's general dictum about fans. Yeah. In my, in my uh, paper last semester about, you know, Disney and, and, Bil- and Snow White and Bilbo and, and, and Tolkien, you know, we have Tolkien's Cauldron of Story. I said, you know, Disney was, uh, Disney's was the pressure cooker of film, you yeah. know, because he had to, and I, the same thing is true here, kind of, you know, where you, it, one of the things we got to understand about the films is they're, you know, they have a different angle, you know, they got to meet this demographic and appeal to that demographic and have these elements and that stuff. And unfortunately, I'm not a big fan of that, but it's kind of the realistic the realism of doing films. Um, yeah, and, and one thing I would just say in passing there, of course, authors have to do the same thing, um, but Tolkien didn't. That was one right. of the things, I mean, you know, Tolkien, it's one of the things that, you know, people say like, you know, who's the next Tolkien? I, and, I, and I say, there isn't going to be one. I mean, Tolkien couldn't have been the next Tolkien if he were publishing now. No publisher would publish The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> if some dude came <laughs> off the street and gave, you know, the equivalent of The Lord of the Rings, it would never get published. There is That's zero. True. I just, it wouldn't happen. Tolkien wasn't catering to anybody, um, right. but that, that, that just, that doesn't happen now. Um, you know, maybe yeah. in a really famous, like J.K. Rowling could probably do that. I mean, she could probably write something like that and get it published now but uh but uh but somebody like Tolkien no way um so so yeah it's true I mean in part it's just like the modern the modern audience the modern thing I mean Tolkien was conscious of audience um I mean that's why he was worried he was going to lose him with the Lord of the Rings people who were expecting the Hobbit sequel but um but anyway, yeah, I said so now digressing in lots of. Uh, well, anyway, so I, I I've calmed myself down from the weekend yeah. and decided that you know I don't care how they want to depict it. I'm going to see it as a friendship. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
Um, I'm just hoping. Uh, I'm personally hoping it just all gets cut. There you <laughs> yeah. go. What the soulful gazes and stuff. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah maybe. Um, I want to see. I want to see dwarf humor and action scenes. <laughs> you want it to be just exactly what Christopher Tolkien is afraid it's going to be? Exactly. <laughs> Shield yeah. surfing. Shield surfing. That's what you want. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I understand. Okay. Um, uh, any sort of smaller comments uh, that we wanted to make about uh, specific predictions and things? Hmm. We did see Lake Town, by the way, uh, in the film. Shocked. Just a, a quick, shocked. yeah, quickie. And and Stephen Fry, actually. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually that's that's the one thing that I was overlooking before when I said there were no surprises. The one thing that surprises me is that people said they saw Lake Town. Yeah. Um, Yes, because uh, if we that, that, that to me was a genuine surprise. Because if we if we apply the if we apply the Father Roderick dictum, that means yep. that we will see Lake Town in the first film. <clears throat> yeah, I don't yeah, think I, yeah, I don't think we can apply it here. Yeah, no, but you're right. I mean, if because he's not going to be showing clips from film two, is yes. he? Well, except that. I, Dave and I discovered that Stephen Fry is not listed on, in the cast of the first movie. He's only listed in the cast of the second movie on IMDb, yeah. which I understand is not necessarily 100% accurate. But yes, that's a perplexing. We we were we were talking about this on a on a past uh, digest episode, Corey. Um, I'm I'm not so delusional as to think you actually have time to listen to them, but <clears throat> we noticed that. <laughs> We noticed that Stephen Fry is only on the cast list for IMDb. However, the kid playing Bard's son is listed yes. on both films. In both. Uh, well, maybe he runs out and helps mender. to fetch the barrels or something. Yep. Right. <laughs> yep. that, that and the is... net mender. There's a net mender also who's on both. Yes, okay. yes. So so we we took that to be strong evidence that they will make it to Lake Town uh, by the end yep. of the first film. And, and but I, maybe only to the... And your... using the Father Roderick... Using the Father Roderick dictum, uh, th- this only lends additional evidence because if they've shown if Peter Jackson has revealed footage of it, it cannot be only it cannot be saved for the second film. Therefore, we must and <laughs> we must see like or I guess it's always possible it might hit the cutting floor. But in the in well, the in the collection of footage being considered for the first film, we there must be some Lake Town footage. But here's my counter question. <clears throat> my counter question to that is, at some point, Peter Jackson is going to start doing teasers for the second film. Right. The question is, when does he start doing that? And my more specific question is, could Comic-Con 2012 Uh-oh. possibly be Uh-oh. the first moment that he's Owen, doing That's what I was thinking. In the comments, Owen McMahon said uh, uh, that Jackson said in his disclaimer they would show clips from both films. And Yana also said that. Basically, apparently everyone knew this except us. There we go. So there we go. <laughs> Nothing could be likelier. Yeah. Now, there, there were two other things, by the way. One was that Circus specifically said, and I guess it bore out in the, in the film, uh, film clips, that we will see the Smeagol Gollum right. you know, thing, schizophrenia, in, in the character. Yeah. Um, see, I'm not shocked by that, of course. Um, I mean, when we talked about Gollum, you know, we were talking about that sort of pressure for consistency and, it, you know, that people are, are, you know, they loved Gollum and they're going to do what works. I, I get all that. 
but I have to say, if he's exactly the same as he was in The Lord of the Rings, I mean, if there's really no distinction, I'm going to be really disappointed. I know, um, me too. That's going to be another flattening thing. I mean, to say, yeah. Gollum before, you know, Gollum right at the moment that he is about to lose the ring, although he's already lost the ring and doesn't know it. But anyway, you know, Gollum at that point, to say that he is no different psychologically, you know, that he still has like the same issues and is undergoing the same struggles as he is later on after so much has happened to him, you know, after mm-hmm. his loss of the ring, his departure from the, the, the mountains, the, the darkness in which he has stayed and, and hidden alone for hundreds and hundreds of years, his torture in Mordor and his escape and the, the vast struggle that is going on now with his the commands that he is under from Sauron and his own desire to find the ring and to, to you know, and, and the way that he is caught, and this is something that people don't really talk about um, right. that much in the books. You know, when, when talking about the books, I think, the way that he is really trapped um, between, you know, when he is serving Frodo and he makes the promise to Frodo, um, taking Frodo as his master and Sauron as his master also, you know, and Sauron's commands to him. So he's got Sauron pushing him one way, Frodo pushing him another way, his own desire for the ring pushing him a third way. He's in a really complex position there. Um, uh, and uh, and it's one of the things, this is actually, it's a comment that uh, Verlin Flieger made uh, when she and I were chatting about Gollum one day. One of the, the, the lines that she f- says she finds most poignant in the entire Lord of the Rings is when Gollum shakes his fist at Mordor and says, I won't, not for you. Uh, he, uses, he uses the first person when, when he's addressing Sauron um, and defying Sauron. He speaks uh, in the singular. Um, and it's one of the only times he does that spontaneously. Uh, and it's, it's very moving. Um, we can see his own struggle there. Anyway, the point is there's so much stuff that goes on. And to right. say that, like, no, nah, you know, before he loses the ring, he's exactly the same as after all that stuff has gone on. Um, right. Again, just to me, that's, that's sort of a flattening. Um, though, I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic because, of course, what you're putting back is all of this complexity that isn't there yet. I mean, I think that he would be a flatter character in some ways. Um, in The Hobbit, he should be because he has had fewer experiences and, and, you know, all these other things which inform his state of mind and his outlook by The Two Towers and The Return of the King haven't happened yet. Um, so I think that his, his outlook would be simpler um, and would be, well... I guess being less three-dimensional is kind of like being less pregnant uh, or less unique, I suppose. But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, it, it would be... It, 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 I mean, it's, 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 it's not as complex. And so that change, um, I think, should appear. And, and I think that they're, 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 they're losing a larger opportunity if we just have like a Gollum encore, essentially. Um, if all it is is, is an Andy Circus encore that I would find disappointing. And that's what it sounds like it's going to be. And I agree with you. I mean, he's fat and happy under the mountains. You know, when Bilbo meets him, I mean, he thinks he still has his ring. So, I mean, all is well in Gollum's world, so to speak. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for him to have this sort of schizophrenic kind of personality. Um, yeah. I've always thought it was, you know, I started with like the torture at Sauron is sort of split his mind. But yeah, they're not going for that kind of nuance, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> I uh, I hate to do this, but... I actually have to go shortly. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. darn. I wanted to talk about Galadriel and, Dol- and the Battle of Dol Guldur. Oh. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. 
the, here's my my proposal is the following. Uh, let's let's do our prediction question. <clears throat> so yeah. we can all get on the record on that, and then I'll go. But you know, I mean, you guys can keep going if you want to. Somebody else, <laughs> somebody else will have to record. But um, right. but or, or we can just not record it, and then we can point and say this is why you listen live. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, we can chat for a little bit. But no, yeah, we should go. We've we're yeah, we, we should we've go. Been, yeah, we've been on it's the been air for a while, while here. Um, like okay, Ed said, so... we might need to make this two two uh, two sessions. Yeah, well, yeah so, we'll probably come. Back yeah, why don't we? You know, time. why don't we just dig up some of the extra material and split this into two episodes? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that we was a can... that was a joke. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but I think that we can. I guess I, I I think we can come back to some of this at the beginning of next time. That'd okay. Be good. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. So predictions. So uh, the prediction question we were thinking about was the whole the whole third film. Yeah, question. I think that's what the one do people go actually think um, is, you know, this, I mean, it, this sounds exactly like the way that internet rumors are started, you know, the way that this has gone down. I don't know how much substance uh, there is to that at all, but that's the question. Um, and it, it, it was basically, you know, sort of brought up by the, um, the stuff that we were talking about before, like, you know, when we were talking about Peter Jackson's attitude towards this and what his plans are and what he might do. So, um, so okay. So, so let's do let's do that question. So the question is basically, how do you think that Peter Jackson and the studio will handle the um, the this all this extra stuff that Peter Jackson says that he could do or wants to do? Option A is they will expand the Hobbit to three films. So you know there will be like the Hobbit Part Three will will be sort of squeezed in or stretched out or whatever. Uh, option B is they're going to put the extra stuff into, you know, that basically the extended edition is going to be super extended. So that, you know, they're, they're going to have this stuff. They're not going to make a third film of it, but they're going to include it. They're going to incorporate it into the two films that they release on the DVDs. So there's just going to be like the extended editions are going to be extra super extended. Option C is they're going to is also that they're going to put it on the DVDs, but they're not going to have it uh, just as an integrated part of the film. They're going to have like an extra like bonus short film or something. They're going to they're they're going to have an extra thing. They're going to tell an extra story, um, but they're not going to have a feature film, um, a third feature film. And option D is they're going to save it for a later sequel film covering material from that period, you know, as I said before, between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, things like the Aragorn stuff and things like that. So that so that it's not going to be a third Hobbit film. It would just be a sequel, you know, uh, a, a separate film entirely, which would follow up The Hobbit uh, later on. May I tee up a possible E, see what you guys think about this one? Because I think this okay. is a possibility too, which is that they, uh, they do put out extra stuff. It's not as a film, but they drip feed it to us. So, you know, the first release of the DVD has this extra material. And then a year or two later, we get the silver version and it's got like an extra, extra stuff. And then two years later, we get another, you know, set of DVDs and Blu-ray and it's got even more extra stuff. So I'm thinking, you know, if they do that's that, Christopher Tolkien is completely right. <laughs> this is the yeah. this is the, that is that's that that is the the Harry Potter option. Uh, it is. Well, that, also, I think it's the those Star Wars option doing. too, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I I, uh. I mean, I think that honestly, that would be considered um, uh, B. <clears throat> yeah, okay. exactly. I was okay. going to say that too. Or, or, okay. or C. 
So let, well, let me make sure well, I understand the distinction between B and C. B is just oh, B is expanded version that the extra material goes into expanded versions of the two films. Of C the two is films. C right. is an extra actual like footage that's not embedded in the films but is included in the on the the DVDs. Yes. Okay. Either as a bonus, and and I could see that being done as a bonus. You know, like contains the bonus short film. Right. You know, whatever. Bilbo goes to markets. <laughs> in that case, keeping up with the bombadils. In that case, in that case, I can we agree that C would be the Mark Fisher book answer? Because <laughs> right, it would be an appendix. That's right? correct. Yes, that's exactly what the books do. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah clearly, C is C is the book answer. Absolutely. Um, okay. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say D. I think that if there's extra material, it'll be safe for a sequel film. I think wow. that because I think that if there's extra wow. stuff, they're they're gonna. I'm not saying that I'm promising that sequel's gonna come, but I think that if it happens, that's where it's gonna happen. Are we talking extra stuff? Uh, are we talking when we say extra stuff? Are we talking extra stuff in the form of? Um, like Aragorn, like like, are we talking like the the Lord of the Rings, Return of the King appendix material that does not actually have anything to do with the Hobbit film? Because that's a good. Because to me, if it's sort of quest for Erebor Hobbit related stuff, I think it's just going to be crammed onto the DVDs. But if we're talking like yeah. Corey, if we're talking like actual, Corey wants his Battle of Azanul Bazaar. Yeah, even that, I think. <laughs> I think that will, <laughs> I think that would be included as an expanded scene or an extra footage on the DVDs. But I think if we're talking like <clears throat> true sort of you know entirely separate events that but that are sort of bridges between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, then I think I think D sound seems likely. So let's clarify what we mean by extra content. Well, see, <clears throat> it's it's a difficult thing to clarify because we don't know what he remarks- meant. Exactly. The remarks that Peter Jackson made are not really clear. And I think that the um, the sort of, you know, fan discussion of a possible third film um, seems to me a little bit crazed in taking what he said out of context. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that, he, that Jackson was certainly trying to do in saying that was sort of pointing out, look at how much stuff there is. Basically the kind of thing... Dave, that you and I have been saying for months, right? Mm-hmm. That like there is there is really an enormous amount of material here. People are saying like, oh, like how they're going to have to contort and twist things in order to make two whole films out of this story. No, there's lots there, and so I think that's what Peter Jackson is sort of pointing to to say, look, there's 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 a whole lot we're leaving on the table here just to 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 make these two films. Um, and he basically said that as a, as an answer to a question. I've actually got it in the notes here. He actually said that kind of thing. What you just paraphrased him. Right. And somebody asking about the extra material, and basically he said, hey, you know, we write the script, and we shoot, and we shoot, and we shoot, and we shoot, and we do what makes sense to us at the time, and then we end up with this, you know, huge amount of material that would make, like, way too long a movie, and we have to cut it back, and so then the rest ends up in the extended edition. That yeah. was basically his response. I, 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 yeah, that's a, boy, it's hard, because there, on the one hand, I feel like, I feel like he answered two questions, when essentially right. what people, I think he made this comment about, um, about going back and shooting some extra footage next year. And right. uh, and what people took that to mean is, 
You're going to split the second one into two films. You're going to pull a Harry Potter, Twilight, you know, like, let's milk it for right. all it's worth. And, and, and then he responded by saying, well, there is all this content in the appendices that you could totally expand on. But and then but I you know, and then he, he made this sort of cryptic comment about an ex, about a sort of more of a sequel film. I, I kind of think he answered sort of two separate questions there. One is. Right. The stuff that I'm shooting next year is Hobbit stuff to be included on the DVDs. Two is, but there's also all this other stuff in the appendices mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that is totally rich, but doesn't belong in a second Hobbit film. Rather, should be used for creating some kind of sequel bridge mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. I I kind of that's sort of how I unless he's you know to the extent that he, there was any semantic content in his answer at all. I that's how I would interpret it. I think. So, I don't know. What do you say, Dave? Um, well, that's why I'm clarifying. I, I'm trying – basically, <laughs> basically, I, I, I think if what we're asking about is what's he going to do when he, you know, when he mentioned the appendices, what's he going to do about it? In reference to the Hobbit material, I'm sure that that's going to be rolled into the the existing yeah. films. So I, I I think I think our question should be specifically directed at non directly Hobbit related appendix material. And in that case, I think it will be D. Right. Yeah, but that's I mean he couldn't really include that stuff in an extended. Edition. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, we should we should we should. We, so in some sense, if we clarify it, it, there's a point at which if we clarify it too much, it's no longer actually a question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. The the first three still work. Basically, we could we could sort of basically just make it A, B, and C, and then have the last one as a yes, no. Basically, do you think there will be a sequel film um, with other? I, 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 that's why I think that's why I think um, in my opinion there's sort of two separate questions. Maybe and maybe we should yes, separate no, them. Right. The questions being yep. one. What is he when he says he's going to go back and shoot extra film next year? What's he talking about? And the other question is, too, when he's talking about doing something with the appendices, what is he? What does he intend to do with that? And and actually, the the A, B, C, and D we can keep as uh, the the answers for each of those questions. So when he goes and shoots next year, what is, what is he going to do with that stuff? It's going to, it's for a third Hobbit film. It's it's extended edition stuff. It's uh, bonus content for the DVDs, or it's for a sequel. And then um, uh, or and then the second question is, okay, when he, what do you think if he's going to do anything with the appendices? What do you think he's going to do with it? <clears throat> How's that sound? So in, in this well, case, well, I know that for the Lord of the Rings, they when they did the reshooting because they did reshooting after principal photography was done, and it wasn't. Nece- I didn't ever get the impression it was necessarily for sequel stuff or for extra bonus edition stuff. It was like cer- there were certain scenes that needed to be reshot for some reason because the story had come together in editing a particular way, and they needed to you know tweak a scene, and now they had to reshoot pieces. And that's what I that's what I took to, it yeah. to me when he said he was going to be reshooting. So I I would say so the way I would the way I would. Um, the way I would answer those two questions, just to give you an example, is my answer to the first one is um, uh, B. When he's when he's talking about going and doing some some extra shooting next year, I think that's going to be just you know uh, basically for extended editions. Um, and then for the second question, what's he going to do with the, when he's talking about the appendices? What is what what do we think he might do with that? My answer would be D. He's going to make this like Aragorn bridge film or something. <clears throat> That I could see, of course, the big challenge there is it would be uh, it would be challenging to get Viggo Mortensen to do a younger Aragorn like 
20 years later in real time. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have to, it'll be, have to be somebody else like Tatum Channing or something. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think they could. So, so that would that, that would that would be, be be the big challenge of an Aragorn film is they, I think they'd have to get a different actor. So what do you think? Yeah. What do you think about breaking it into two questions? With yeah, the same no, I, 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 I do think that that's going to be most consistent and make the most sense. All right, Corey, yeah. what do you say then? I think it's harder for me to see them making a separate thing. I do not think there's going to be a third film, and I. Uh, would and I have a harder time with the C option with seeing them do something separate because I think they would want more mileage out of it if they told a separate story. Maybe they do get mileage out of it from a special edition DVD that they sell after everyone's already bought the extended edition. That seems possible, um, but uh, but I think it's more likely that it would be extended edition stuff um, that they would that they that they would include it within the story, especially since you know the Lord of the Rings films were so strong in having these extended editions like the the difference between the cinematic version and the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings was very pronounced and like a big deal was made about here let's do the whole let's you know let's put back all the cutscenes and do all these other things and so I would expect him to to be really kind of planning with that model in mind uh, very prominently the second time, so that's what I would that's what I would expect from that. And I I I'm not going to say I'm I expect, but if I, I mean, but like if I had to predict yes or no, do I think uh, you know that kind of like an Aragorn sequel film is going to happen? Um, yeah, I think the odds are better than, especially if the Hobbit does well, you know, and the studio is going to going to want to do more. I think that there's uh, there's a really a really good chance that you know we would get that because there is the stuff there. I mean, you know, there there is plenty of story in the appendices that is not told um, that could be that could be done. Especially one could even potentially see the whole tomb of the Ringwraith thing as a setup for it. Um, you know, to get a film which like culminates in the entombing of the Nazgul, right? <laughs> you know, that's I could see it. I could see it. Um, basically do a story which integrates the like story of Thorngil in Umbar with the you know the fall of Angmar and st- I, I could I could I could I could see ways in which they would do that um, you know take the some of the collapse of the North Kingdom stuff and combine that in with the stuff that's going on in Gondor and you know I I, I this I can imagine, and I can even imagine it not being awful, but um, but I could definitely imagine that. And I think that there's certainly enough material for another film that people would want to think really seriously about it. So, so yeah, if I would guess yes or no, I would guess yes on that. All right, okay, and th- and just to reiterate, now, my answers were B and yes, B and yes, yes. Yeah. And I thought Corey, I did, but I thought you said D on the on the multiple choice question. Yeah, well, that was before we. That was before we. Oh, okay. It. So my D okay. was basically a yes for uh, for our new yes no question. So yeah, so oh, with okay. the new ones, I would say B and yes. And yes, okay. Um, I I'm torn between B and C on the on the. You know, I think definitely extra stuff into the DVD, whether it's going to be extended edition or apart from the two films. Um, I'm going to go with you guys. I think they'll do the extended edition. 
rather than do a separate film. So I'm going. I'm going to be boring with you guys and actually agree B and yes. I think they will try to do a sequel. I, I just can't imagine that with Jackson having all this extra stuff that when they go through editing that he's not going to go, oh, gosh, this could make a whole other film. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, or he's already thought of it. So, yeah, I, yeah, I think there there's going to be a sequel of some kind. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we'll see. And we'll then see what, wait, that. what was, Trish, what was your, your answer about the sequel? Yes? Uh, yes. Okay, so we widespread yeah. agree. Which, which I, I need to do. I suspect... I suspect there's going to be uh, consist. There's going to be widespread uniformity in the answers on this. I imagine everyone's going to say B or C and yes. <laughs> All of our analysts. <clears throat> so, ah uh, yep. well. Yep. Sometimes it happens. Exactly. All right. Um, well, I need to. <laughs> I need to. I've got to go. So uh, let's let's wrap okay. this up. But if you guys want to keep chatting, uh, Peter in the. Uh, one of the listeners is recording, so we'll have it. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, oh, Trish, we want to thank you. Uh, we want to welcome you on the team and thank you for joining us for this episode of Riddles in the Dark. It was very fun. I and, I thank you. It was great. And thank you for all of your hard work on keeping up with the uh, Comic-Con stuff because Corey and I sure weren't. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Um, yes. No, that was excellent. And uh, and we want to thank all of our listeners, uh, for uh, particularly those who've joined us live today, for for all their wonderful feedback and for really contributing to the conversation. I think I, I personally think it's been a lot of fun having people live. Um, I'm sure you agree, Corey. And uh, and uh, so yeah, that's been awesome. Uh, I want to remind people that uh, MythGuard Fall 2012 classes are they're open for registration, right? Or have they just been announced? Yay! That's right. They're open. No, yeah, they're open, including a Hobbit class. So if you want to be right. if you want to be an ex if you want to be participating in like the best place to be enjoying Hobbit mania uh, in a MythGuard class, then go sign up for that class because it's going to be awesome. <clears throat> it is going to be awesome. A whole semester class on the Hobbit will be will be looking at uh, sort of the predecessors to that book, like some of the children's books that were sort of to contextualize the audience of that book. So we'll be reading things like Through the Looking Glass and Winnie the Pooh. Uh, we'll be looking at fantasy works leading up to it. So we will be reading The Princess and the Goblin and The Marvelous Land of Snurgs, uh, some of the books that were you know very much in Tolkien's mind as he turned to this genre. And then we're going to be studying Studying, we're going to be studying the context within Tolkien's writing, so we'll be reading like the Silmarillion stuff that he was working on at the time that he was writing The Hobbit, so sort mm-hmm. of the stuff that was in his mind. And then we'll be reading the Hobbit material from the first manuscript scrap that we have um, when he started Chapter 1 the first time all the way through his rewritings and revisions years afterwards when he actually sat down. A lot of people don't even realize this. Did you know he actually sat down and started to rewrite The Hobbit in the style of The Lord of the Rings? Uh, and got about, <laughs> got about I think, six chapters in. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll be reading that. We'll be reading, and then we'll end, the, we'll end the, the class looking at the publication history and adaptation history of The Hobbit. We'll discuss the Rankin-Bass film, and then, of course, we'll have a special... 
uh, session to uh, talk over the Peter Jackson film after it comes out. Um, but it's, now it's gonna, I really cool. am looking forward to this. I'm taking this course, and one of the things I'm looking forward to is the fact that I will know so much about The Hobbit by the time the movie comes out. I am oh, sure yeah. to like lose whatever friends I have left. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. No, it's gonna it's gonna be great because we're not only gonna be reading the book carefully. It's not like we're just gonna take the published Hobbit and read that for like six weeks. Um, but instead, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be looking at the whole development of the story, how Tolkien's ideas developed and changed from his first draft to his revisions pre-publication to his revisions afterwards, to really be able to see how this story grew and became what it became, and then be looking at the way he is going back and trying to integrate it into the World of the Rings. You know, I've sort of talked about those things a lot during the course of this series and, and in my Hobbit series and stuff and in my book, but, um, but you know, basically we're going to be reading the primary texts and really sort of seeing together how that story was going to be. <coughs> right. It, it, it should be awesome. So if you want your enjoyment of the Hobbit complete uh, Hobbit film completely destroyed this fall, I mean enriched this fall, <laughs> sign up for this class. And uh, and otherwise, or actually, for- it's, it's the enjoyment of the Hobbit for the people sitting around you in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> that will be destroyed. Your own will be enriched. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you again for listening, everybody. Uh, you can send us your feedback by going to the Mythgard page and posting on the. Uh, comments, threads for the episodes that we post there. Keep your eyes open for lots and lots of Rules in the Dark and Rules in the Dark Digest episodes coming out. Um, send us your feedback on Twitter, at TolkienProf, at Dave Kale, at Trish Lambert, and on our Tolkien Professor and Mythgard Facebook pages. And Corey, take us away. Okay, thanks for listening, and Godspeed. <laughs>